Hello, and welcome to Mental Notes from my minivan. This is Kirsty Sayer. I'm not in my minivan because there's rain, and um, hopefully it's quieter inside, but you might still be able to hear the cozy ambient sounds of spring rain, almost spring. I'm getting excited for it. Let's hope it, it arrives sooner rather than later. Um, I have a question, which is a genuine question. I often ask myself, I'm not sure if you ask yourself this, um, I always assume that my life is uh, more ridiculous than other people's, but maybe we all feel that way, I'm not sure. Um, but I am especially attuned to the irony in my life. I often say that I should have named my blog Notes from Irony Land, because isn't it ironic appears every day. Like, and, and isn't it ironic moment appears for me practically every day where I'm like, seriously? So um, the one I'm thinking of right now is it happened directly after I recorded my last podcast. And that podcast was about um, overcoming self-sabotage. And I talked especially about how um, people, especially people with uh, trauma or complex uh, trauma, um, get kind of um, mistaken regarding their motivations for doing things as as many people for many different reasons do um that when they're triggered they behave in a way that maybe served them well in the past and it was an adaptive behavior for survival um and but they've decided that it's part of their uh you know their 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 makeup their personality and they've sort of taken um behaviors that they re have responded to a trigger with as as now that's who they are and that is that then in turn becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's really damaging and destructive and sad and all those things but it is possible to overcome that um and i talked a lot about how and so it was truly ironic that the moment that I finished the podcast, I was actually listening to just the, the sound quality because, as you know, I don't I edit. I've tried, and until I get more sophisticated equipment at my disposal, such as perhaps a laptop, um, <laughs> I'm just letting it go. I just sort of record it and let it be. But I do uh, tend to listen to a little bit of it to make sure that it actually recorded and it's not just dead air. So I was listening to hear, you know, if a chunk of it recorded and I was eating my lunch at the same time, I decided to hop onto Facebook, which is almost always a bad idea mid-project, but we all do it, at least I do. And so I popped over there and I was totally taken aback, just gut punched. Um, when I saw a comment from um, a conversation I'd been a part of like the day before, so I was in no way braced for it. Um, which was tremendously triggering. It had been a conversation about how um, I felt, you know, I, I sort of jumped into a much larger conversation about how uh, I felt that the Mormon church and churches in general um, have a much greater responsibility to um, protect children um, from uh, predators and, you know, they, that they need to do a much better job of vetting people and believing um uh, believing survivors and addressing the problem rather than kind of covering up or making excuses or protecting those predators and allowing them to reoffend and all that stuff. So it's a kind of a heated conversation, but everybody kept a, a good um, handle on, you know, basic decency and people were respectful, even though, you know, 
there was a lot of defensiveness on the part of many Mormons who were on the, on the in the conversation, and I was certainly in the minority. So it wasn't the most conversation, most fun conversation I've ever been a part of. But I do kind of feel a responsibility, given my history, to weigh in on these. And um, maybe if it had happened the day of, I would have been better braced for something for this crazy person who then jumped out at me the day later and straight up just victim shames just told me you know stop worrying about the church and do something about yourself and obviously doesn't know me doesn't know that I do actually work incredibly hard on myself to overcome the trauma and the experiences that I've that I've had and to you know do a lot of good in the world or as much good as I can do um, through what I've learned and to really kind of move along um, so they didn't know me at all, and it was clearly apparent, and also it was just a totally inappropriate thing for anybody with any kind of decency or compassion or insight into any kind of childhood abuse to say. So as a mature individual, I could cognitively just dismiss that and go, well, that's what you get, you know, when you when you you go into the wild, wild west of the internet. That is what you get. If you're on a public page with public people and you yourself have a public page, you are somewhat of a target if you engage in such a com um, controversial topic. And also if it's if it's sensitive to you, you'd better, you know, put on your armor. Um, and so cognitively, all those things were just really um, um, like firing just fine for me. But um, I gotta admit that it wasn't um, working for for that little kid, that little child, that damaged little girl, um, that's still there to some degree, because it really did hit me like a sucker punch. It was just it, not a sucker punch, an actual gut punch. It was so horrible, and I immediately felt the cascade of emotions going into effect that shame and the same kind of conditioning because remember I'd been told that in one way or another for you know a lot of years that you know this must be you or you know you're imagining or you know you're to blame or you know both overtly and 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 implicitly um and so this was you know like really kind of hitting me where it hurts um and you know you can get to the point where you know to any sane person it makes no sense that I would give this person any credence to ruin my day and get in the way of my intentions for that day but my instincts were scared shamed little girl with a lot of shame with a lot of fear with a lot of confusion and those instincts were in full effect and I felt myself that sort of that, that shutting down and that curling up um, almost you know I sometimes often it happens physically that I'll just want to get into a small ball and go to sleep and sort of just curl up around that those ugly words and those ugly things and just you know um and immediately my first thought is like what are you even thinking putting out a podcast like you know you're just opening yourself up to further attack like this person is out there to get you and somebody had even like um messaged me privately and and been really ugly and sort of implied that they knew where I lived and you know, it was ick. It was just icky. And, um, you know, it's understandable that I, I would have those instincts. But at the same time, I was also really aware of the, of, um, 
the need and probably just because I just recorded the podcast on the topic that I was hyper aware of the need to reframe my response from what I had done in the past in order to retrain my brain to triggers and to break the cycle of self-sabotage. So what um, has happened in the past is when I embarked on I, I talked about this in the last podcast, I, I'd embark upon on things and goals and then I'd be triggered and then I would just kind of like um, cave into that trigger and sort of lose my momentum and then think I was a, a really terrible, unindustrious person with no um, staying power or, you know, all the things, all the negative, awful things. And then that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you just start to not even try anything because you feel like you'll fail all the time. So um, I was well on my way. Like that cascade of emotions was just like working its way through my body and ready to shut me down for the day, say no to the podcast. And um, my adult voice, though, has been awoken enough. And my understanding of triggers has been awoken just enough now, or not just, but more than enough now that I could say, okay, you're triggered. Um, and it feels like crap. And that is totally understandable. But you know what you need to do now, you need to respond differently from the way you have in the past. And so what I did, I think, I believe the first response I had was not to uh, shut down Facebook and go and in, into my shame cycle and go quietly into my room and pull my cover over my head and coil, coil in a little ball and go to sleep. Um, <clears throat> what I did instead was I took what this woman had said to me, I pulled it out of the buried conversation because it was in a thread um, at that point, and I put it on my page, big and loud, and you know, <laughs> and I said, this is unacceptable. This is not okay. We can't talk to victims this way. This is not true, and this will not stand. And I've had no issue in doing that because it had been posted on a public page already. So nobody's privacy was compromised. And it was um, it was a survival technique, which was totally unlike the survival techniques that I had engaged in as a small child, which was to hide and pretend nothing had happened and to just kind of, you know, go fetal and stay small and, and disassociate, which is what I'd done since I was a child. And so this was the very opposite. And then the next thing I did, which was the very opposite to what I will ordinarily do when triggered, was continue, press forward with my day. So as painful and as vulnerable as it felt then to post and, and market my latest podcast episode, I went ahead and did that. And it was hard. I mean, it really did take the joy out of it uh, that day, I, I have to admit, because I I generally am very excited about my podcast and excited to share them with you guys. And, and like, I feel a sense of great accomplishment. And this time it was a trudge. It was just a like, do it. You need to do this because it will long term um, help your brain to respond to triggers in different ways and to help you to understand that you are not your triggers and you are not, you know, you have the choice. While we may not have the choice of the emotions that the triggers um, stir up in us, we do have the choice of what feelings and thoughts, or not what feelings, but what thoughts accompany those emotions and what actions we take after those thoughts once we have had enough therapy to understand the whole thing to start to unravel the thing so I wanted to tell you that story because it is not um, you know this this abstract thing that I'm preaching about this is something I'm living 
continue to live every day um, in some way or another. Every day has a small trigger, or in this case, it was a very big one. And But in that way, I was very conscious of making different choices. And it worked. I got through the day. I didn't end up the day in bed. I was able to fulfill the obligation that I'd made to myself and to my listeners and and I did the thing. And that made me feel that much more powerful. And I also exposed this horrible untruth. And I hope that somebody who needed to read it, who's heard that that awful, those awful false victim blaming um, concepts, either from themselves or from somebody else, or even happened to read them on that thread that day, was assisted by seeing, you know, the great outpouring of support and shock and horror from other decent people when they saw that and said, absolutely, this is this is disgusting. This is not human. This is not okay. This is not how we treat people who are survivors. They, it has nothing to do with them. They have no responsibility in the matter and all those things. So it actually turned out to be a good thing. Um, and my dog just gave us heavy, heavy sigh, which means move along. So... Um, I also want to tell you that the next day, so while I got through that day fairly productively and, and did what I set out to do, um, it wasn't like I didn't end the day skipping with joy or like uh, as, you know, sort of really feeling triumphant. It was just a tough day. And um, the days that followed were actually really hard too, um, probably harder than that day because I, I, it, it must have triggered something, you know, obviously subconsciously as well. And I probably had some dreams because I woke up really depressed and really back in the funky cycle that I'd become so familiar with um, but I am less and less tolerant of because I'm not experiencing it 24-7 all the time and I don't like it and so I'm less patient about it um, and I generally can kind of shrug it off these days and work with it um, or go to therapy with it or whatever, but my therapist had been out of town for quite a while and I'd been dealing with a lot and I think it was just kind of a, uh, a tipping point for me that day. And I lost it. I got really angry and despairing and lashed out at my husband and um, I was just like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of having to deal with this. It's not fair I had to deal with it in the first place. It's not fair I continued to deal with it. Nobody works so hard as me. Blah, 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 blah. Feeling a pity party on top of the depression and the, the, the gunk that was kind of surrounding me and um it you know there was this venting process and this kind of like backsliding that will just happen but again it didn't take me deep enough into that hole that I couldn't get out the next day I felt marginally better than the day before and so I quickly preempted it and I got up as soon as I could I didn't wait for you know midday when the I do no, notice a pattern of kind of backsliding if I haven't really gotten on top of my day early um, and I quickly went for a run as soon as I could you know before I could start to feel miserable just in case which is just a reality you know and I've just come to accept that it's like you know some people take insulin and some people have and we all have things that we shouldn't have to deal with but we do and that is life life is filled with resistance and so I, um, you know, just sort of jumped on the things that I know helped me, like getting out of bed quickly and going for a run. And I was doing yoga that day. And I had been, um, well, actually, this is a fun story that I'm going to tell you right after this quick little break. So stay tuned because this is a very fun and affirming story. And um, we'll get right back to this. 
Okay, so back to the yoga. So I've been obsessed with this one pose for a while now, or actually quite a while, um, with nailing it. And I have um, sort of gotten almost all the way there that in in terms of I can do the pose, but it, I know it doesn't feel right. I can I feel like I'm cheating and I fall right out of it and I just wasn't satisfied with the idea that I'd mastered the pose. And it made me crazy because I knew... I had the strength and I knew I had the balance and I couldn't figure out what it was that wasn't working. And it's a somewhat advanced yoga pose. I mean, it's classified as an advanced yoga pose, but it's by far not the most, you know, difficult or complex pose. In fact, that I actually watched quite bitterly, I might add, which is totally the antithesis of how you should be about yoga. It's not about comparing yourself to anyone, but I would see people who I knew were new to yoga or didn't do it at all. Um, sort of listen attentively to the instructor and then just kind of be able to pull it off if um you know if they were moderately fit or little kids even could do it and I was like what the heck this isn't fair because I've been doing yoga for ages and I've been actively trying to get this damn thing down and I couldn't figure it out and um like I said kind of there you know like if uh, you know, I could I could say I'd done it. I've even had, you know, maybe a photo taken of myself doing it, but then I'm right out of it and it wasn't it didn't have that floating uh quality that I knew it was supposed to have. So it it was just this this ongoing irritation for me. And then I got to the point where I'm like, fine, whatever, I give up on this pose. Whatever it's not for me, I guess, you know, I then start making all the excuses, my arms are too short or this or that, or my legs are too this or I'm too that or like my fingers aren't weak my fingers are too small I mean I really like found every reason why so um I a few weeks ago I was like no that's nonsense I'm I mean I've seen all body types do yoga and do this this pose and surely there's just you know this is user error and I need to figure out why so what I did was I turned to um YouTube way later than most other people would you know, for tutorials. And I figured, well, if I got a lot of, uh, you know, different tips from different yoga teachers, at least one of them would be able to tell me, you know, what I'm not figuring out. And so I started to listen and do some yoga drills, maybe, you know, make myself a little bit stronger, make my body more accustomed to going into that pose, all the stuff, doing everything right, finally. And um, I had one guy and he he probably had like a million views on, on this YouTube video so I was pretty confident that this guy knew what he was doing at least with this pose and I was all set to do it I'd been doing the drills for for about a week and I was in the position and then ready to sort of hopefully launch off but really not getting there and the video um, I have this sort of automatic play so it will play the next video on my YouTube app and the next one was this woman who was in her little like tiny little apartment nothing fancy she didn't have a big audience at all I didn't see that there would have been a ton of views on the video she wasn't a name that I knew um, it wasn't like this well-lit studio there was nothing going on but this woman uh, started to give a tutorial while I'm in the position and, and she was like checking off things that you should be doing with your body and it was really resonating with me the things she was saying were making a lot of sense just in terms of the body mechanics but then she said something and I know she didn't mean it in a psychological like this is you know woo woo kind of yoga life like this is 
this is a great analogy for life or anything like that. She just meant it strictly in terms of getting into the pose. And um, she said, okay, so what you need to do is make sure that you're looking straight ahead. And I'd missed that. I'm sure everybody had said that, but I'd missed it until I heard her say it. Um, because you, you look down and your head will also follow and you will bonk your head on the ground. And that was a sensation I had experienced before in attempting this pose. And I was not keen to experience again. Um, and, but then she said, but you know, even if you do, it's like not the end of the world, you'll be fine. But, and then she said, and if you, when you're looking forward and then, you know, you, you sort of lean over and you go one inch past scary your legs will automatically rise you're going to need a lot less power in your core to get your legs up and I was like what the what that's exactly the problem I haven't been going one inch past scary I've been going too scary and maybe even on my bravest day half an inch past scary and then I was using tremendous amounts of power in my core to drag my legs up which is making it very hard in fact I was getting like bruises and all sorts of stuff and I I knew that wasn't that didn't seem right either so um she goes on to say look you've got to go one inch past scary your legs will automatically float up just because of physics (laughs) I don't know (laughs) the way she was saying it with you know she was actually saying you know it's it's all mathematical and you will um then need to commit to the pose she's like because once you start you go one inch pose scary your legs float up that's the point that you're going to start going like wily coyote off the off the cliff that he's doing fine and then he looks down (laughs) and then his legs start moving frantically and he changes his mind so she's like that's what you need to guard against as well once you're one inch pose scary the legs float up and then don't freak out that's when you're in the pose that's when you sit and you enjoy the reward of it and that's that's when you float and I was like what the what it's so freaking true that's exactly what I'm missing and so um I thought about this and I was like how the hell have I like I've known this the whole time. I've known this in the back of my mind the whole time. The reason why I'm not doing this is because I'm not fully committed to it. And that's because I'm too too scared. And I was like, why are you so scared? Like, this is not far. Like, even if you're at your full height for this pose, you're not that far from the ground. <laughs> you're, there's a mat there. Like, what, what, what could possibly happen? You know how to fall and all this stuff. You know, it's not a big deal. And then I realized I have been since a kid... Um, conditioned to be terrified, terrified um, of spinal cord injuries. My mother was particularly like, for some reason, really motivated to warn us of the uh, the danger of spinal cord injuries and anything to do with like a neck being tweaked any which way could cause you to have, you know, paralysis or death. And that was like, something we heard about a lot as kids and I'd really kind of embraced that but what's interesting is that as a kid I actually fell off like a jungle gym onto concrete hard on my head directly on my head and 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 done you know live to tell the tale so you would think having had that exposure I could go one of two ways and I did not go in the brave direction from then I avoided any kind of inversion I 
will tell you that I've never done a handstand. I never did. I I have done a headstand since then doing yoga, but it was always quite. It's actually been very scary for me to do it, but I have done them. Um, I've never done a cartwheel. All the things that I think, as a somewhat athletic person with good balance, I should be able to do. But it was always this intrinsic fear and horror of spinal cord injury and tweaking my neck um, through falling on my head. And so I was like, okay, address that. Okay, look, rationally, let's remember you actually have this fear from your childhood. You've kind of dispelled a lot of things your mother's told you since then. You're going to be fine. You know, everything's going to be fine, but you must... Um, look at the fear as a sign of, you know, the, the scary, when you hit scary as a sign to keep going, that this is where you're supposed to be and, and then float and then hang in there. And lo and behold, bam, that's exactly how it went. And suddenly I'm floating in this pose fairly effortlessly. You know, it's not taking this tremendous amount of core strength and I can hold the pose. And all my dreams, my yoga dreams are suddenly coming true because this one woman had given me the cue to go one inch past Gary and commit to the pose. And honestly, if that's not the most perfect analogy for getting out of your comfort zones, for addressing what terrifies you, for living your life more fully, for breaking cycles which are destructive, um, for really reaching your potential, then I don't know what is. Because everything like that requires us to move one inch past scary one inch past comfortable one inch past what everybody thinks maybe we can or should do one inch past what we ourselves have done in the past and then not only that but then commit to it stick with it stay with it so just like at the beginning of you know this podcast I talked about how we, you know, I, I gave a lovely little podcast, felt all happy about it and excited to get out. And then reality came, irony land, here we are with the very same thing that you've just been talking about. And I had to commit to it, even though I didn't feel like it. I had to do the scary thing. I had to post the podcast. I had to expose the person and open myself up to more and, and not just go to sleep. Because the thing is, when I woke up, I would be further back in my recovery if I'd done that. And so committing to, to those scary and unpleasant things, um, now that I understand the direction that I'm going in and I'm looking ahead, it is just so important to my recovery, but it's important to everything else that I'm trying to do with my life, to the progress that I'm trying to do. And I think it's true for everyone who's trying to do more with their lives. Um, all of this is worth it it's worth the fight you know but it's it's hard and I think trying to trying to make it not hard um or find ways for it to be easy is what trips a lot of us up we need to understand that in every part of life there's resistance in your recovery there's going to be a resistance in finding recovery um the the path to recovery you're going to find resistance it doesn't mean it's not worth it I also wanted to talk about an article that I posted on um, Facebook about maybe 10 days ago that got a lot of engagement, so I really wanted to mention it here. Um, it was mostly the type of engagement that it got, that people um, read it, it resonated with them, and they were sad um, because it sort of brought up issues of having had this um, 
an attempt at therapy or attempting to make themselves feel better, which had failed because they weren't finding the right kind of help. And the article was from, I believe it's a site called themighty.com. I will repost it on my um, Momity Sketch Facebook page, which is where I um, have my podcast and blog sort of business I will post that in a thread under this podcast when it when I publish it but the title of it is all um it says actually we can't keep treating anxiety from complex complex trauma the same way that we treat generalized anxiety and um yeah Absolutely. And it's something that I've said over and over again, that complex PTSD and PTSD itself is different animal and it needs different treatment from uh, anxiety and depression. And so for years and years and years, without uh, addressing my PTSD, um, I was getting these band-aids for general generalized depression and, and anxiety, panic attacks and all that sort of thing without anybody realizing least of all myself, at least in my conscious mind, that what I was actually experiencing was a um, response to complex PTSD, um, which happens due to childhood trauma. Almost always, um, it's a matter of abuse, often sexual abuse. And um, the way I look at it is, well, the article actually addresses the fact that, you know, um, anxiety, generalized anxiety, and, and all the sort of the mindfulness techniques and all the things that, um, that you can do a lot to help yourself sort of without very in-depth therapy, um, doesn't work the same way because that's about anxiety that you are scared of things that might happen in the future. And with complex PTSD, you're dealing with um, emotions and triggers because of what actually has happened. And so your brain has become wired to respond in a specific way. It is, it is already wired because it's already experienced those things and it's anticipating that all sorts of other things in your now safe life are going to require those same, those same coping skills. And so you become very risk averse and very jumpy and all sorts of all sorts of things you don't understand how you respond to different stimuli and all that sort of thing so it's really important that you do get somebody who's skilled in dealing with trauma and in the case of um, complex PTSD in that in complex PTSD and you know a lot of people were commenting on how therapy hadn't worked for them because um, you know they'd gone and it was a it was in and of itself a traumatic experience because people had delved in without even knowing and sort of created this big mess that they couldn't deal with or um, it was just completely ineffective. It didn't even start to address the problems and all all things that it was it tugged on my heartstrings very hard because I'd experienced them too. And I hate for people to suffer unnecessarily. And that's almost been the hardest part of my healing is just the, oh my word, what could have been if I had figured out what ailed me sooner? which is kind of useless, you know, to have those regrets and just we need to just kind of push forward. Um, the way I see it is that, you know, f as another kind of way of explaining this, um, at the beginning of spring, we live in a swamp. And people laugh when I say that, but we literally live in a place called the Black Swamp in here in Northwest Ohio. And so the ground in our backyard is incredibly rich and fertile, which is wonderful. We can grow things fairly easily. Um, but weeds just 
love it here. They love it. And we have such a wide array, array of very strong and healthy weeds ready to take over our yard at the first sign of spring. First little bit of warmth and sustained, you know, not snow. Uh, they're ready to go. And if we're not ready to go um, before all the plants really start to come up, um, this one particular root system of this one particular weed just is so pernicious, takes over and is a nightmare to deal with. If we get out there quickly before everything really does start to grow um, in terms of shrubs and you know plants and, and ground cover and that kind of thing, and we get it out, um, we're in a lot better shape because and and the and here's what it is it's not that it's a strong weed it's not that it's got a, like a very deep root system because we have those and they take a, a strong man they're like a tree to get out once they take root it takes like tools and a my big burly husband to pull it out I can't there's some of the weeds that I just can't even take on myself this one isn't like that it's not physically strong it's just very um it's got a webbing. It's ne- it's just a network under the ground, and it's shallow, but it's this very dense net. And so, if the other plants and the the shrubs have started growing, it's a disaster. So, if I get it before the the shrubs and plants start growing, I can just send like Boy Scouts or kids or whatever out there and say, whatever's green, just pull it out because we don't want any of that before the other stuff comes up. Um, but this is kind of how PTSD works, is that while you're growing, while you're going through very key developmental processes, um, you're getting this, this weed, this noxious kind of enemy in the form of abuse or trauma. And it's sort of infiltrating how you see the world and how you see yourself and yourself developing. And, and if it's at the hands of a close caregiver or a family member or somebody you love, it's even more confusing and... And so your identity and the, your, the, you know, how, how you interact with authority figures and everything is all very tightly woven into it, which, which then again shows how easy it is to be triggered and then to behave in ways that you were taught to behave as a child, which makes living in an adult world very complicated and very painful. So what you need is then a... a, a a therapist who is skilled in that kind of unraveling of the weeds and ironically my therapist always refers to it as hooking like she'll put down she, she says we'll put down like a, a fishing line and we will hook things up and you know sometimes it's attached to something else that we weren't ready for and that's a bigger bigger thing to take on but we do it together and and it's in a safe place. It's in a we're in a I'm in a safe place, and she frequently, if not always, gives me permission to leave it there in the office, which doesn't always work. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it doesn't always work. I often take things home with me, and it's a tough, tough week after a certain type of therapy. But more than not, um, you know, having that safety and being able to address it in her office. Um, and leave it behind has given me a great deal of peace in my everyday life. And that's what she also strives to do, not to create so much chaos by pulling everything up at the same time that she pulls out all of the, you know, that she disrupts my everyday life now in current time to the same degree as it was disrupted when I was a child. Her goal is always that, you know, she sort of shows me with her hand that we live in different levels. She's like, you're living up here, 
And when we come in, you come into the office, we can go down here to this level. But you should feel free to enjoy your life and live on this level as much as you can. And so, you know, those are the words of somebody who's very skilled at dealing with past trauma and complex PTSD. And it's a very different approach than I've had when I've spoken with other therapists who did not, not know that they were dealing with or who were impatient. And I had come for surface level help at the time because I wasn't ready. And they were intent on dealing on digging and pulling out the weeds with the flowers and not being careful. All of those things can feel very scary and very dangerous and be horrifying and unpleasant but and if that's happened to you I'm so so sorry I feel you so profoundly it's the worst but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go back you know we don't uh, just like we don't ask a washing machine repairman to fix our car uh, we need to find the right person for the job. Uh, you can interview people if they're not feeling right. If it's, you're not making progress, you move on to somebody else. Um, you ask for recommendations from people you trust. And even if the, somebody works great for your friend but not for you, then they don't. And we move on. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's certainly not a one type of therapist suits all kinds of problems. That's for sure. Um, and we also don't just give up. We don't, you know, just because your brain surgeon or your, uh, you know, you found out that you had a tumor in your brain you, and your, your brain surgeon said, well, it's, it's pretty complicated. It's woven around this in this area. You wouldn't be like, oh, that sounds like a nightmare. It's so hard and it's going to suck to go under anesthesia and I just don't want to deal with it now. I'm just going to go ahead and live with the brain tumor and see what happens. I mean, we don't do that. We are like, okay, cool. Like this is going to suck but I, I need that thing out, right? We, we've got to do that the same way with our mental health. And it becomes very easy to put that on the back burner and think, well, people say, I don't have time to deal with it. We really don't have time not to deal with it. Um, because it's, it's, it's making you live a, a much more painful or a much less um, productive existence or happy or any of the things existence and you could be if you were dealing with it it's really important to get those tumors out of your life even if it is going to be complicated and you do need to go back to therapy and you do need to find somebody who's better and get second opinions or really commit to it right to look forward and then commit to it even when it gets scary and painful it's so worth it um, I saw this quote I wanted to to give this quote because I've been looking at it for days or weeks really um about resistance and I keep mentioning that word resistance because you know we can say problems or life is hard or sucks for everybody but it's more than that it's resistance that is I've talked about it how it's built into our, our brains and into our psyches for us to resist progress to keep us safe um, to keep us in old thought patterns and limiting beliefs it's also resistance is built into life through people who've done bad or unfair things to us, for people who will get in our, our way when we want to succeed, just in terms of competition, barriers of wealth or opportunity or health or all the things. Resistance is there and we must accept and that, that and then we must commit to taking it on. And that's when we build strength and that's where we get to where we want to be. And this, I thought, was a really excellent way of putting it. Resistance's goal is not to wound or disable. Resistance aims to kill its target. 
which is the epicenter of our being, our genius, our soul, the unique and priceless gift we were put on earth to give and that no one else has. When we fight it, we are in a war to the death. And that's by Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. Um, I think that's a beautiful and very blunt way and, and very uncomfortable way to look at it. But it's true. Um, we are going to face resistance and we must just accept that. Things are going to be hard. Yoga is hard um, if you want to do the advanced poses. For most people, it's just hard. Maybe not for some, but for most, it is for me. Um, if you want to get to the place where you're flying or floating, as they call it, you know, it's a bit of an excessive way to put what we're actually doing, but it feels kind of that way. You have to get strong and you have to go a little bit price scary and then you have to commit. And that's the same way with mental health or going, you know, taking on anything or breaking past cycles of behavior and past thought patterns and, and, and learning more about yourself or anything. Accept resistance, then look forward and commit to overcoming it. And that's when we become strong. You don't become strong without resistance. So that's, that's where it's our friend. But it's there. Accept it and then commit to overcoming it. And that is what I will leave you with today. I hope that you have a wonderful week. I am about to get a laptop finally, which means that I will be able to start posting all this stuff on my blog and start doing the web um, series that I have been talking about or the YouTube series. And so I'm excited. It's happening. It's coming. I wasn't just talking about that. Um, so uh, hopefully really, really soon. Um, please like and share my channel and this episode if it helps you or if any of the others have and um, leave comments if they're good so that I can move up in the food chain and more people can see me and I can help more people because that is my goal and um, it should be all of our goal I think to help wherever we can so thank you for helping me um, I really am helped by this podcast as you can see from that very concrete example last week and I really hope that somebody out there listening is helped in some small way too. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye. Mm -hmm.